Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redeemer. Um, as Brian said, my name is Kevin Tapscott. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, really glad that you decided to join us this morning for worship. Uh, to all the fathers, happy Father's Day. Thank you for being here. Glad that you're here uh, with us today. I, um, I got married a year ago, but I myself am not a father yet. But I did buy a pair of New Balance sneakers a few days ago, so I feel like I'm one step closer to being a dad, pun intended. So maybe that's two steps closer at this point. Um, but uh, Brian said a lot at the beginning of the service that I won't uh, fully reiterate, but um, we're thankful for the fathers here at Redeemer for the way that you um, love your families, love your children, um, that you point them toward Christ. Um, you try to be Christ-like toward them, and when you inevitably fall short, you, you say that. You say you're sorry, you confess, you repent, you apologize, um, and in that, that models grace and forgiveness and kindness and all that. So we're thankful for you, and we recognize also that this is not as happy or joyful a day for everyone. There's an array of emotions, as Brian said, and so um, we see you and we acknowledge that reality, uh, but more importantly, God sees you, and he's, he's with you. He's near you. Um, and then again, I, I love that video um, that we just watched about Juneteenth. If you have the opportunity to watch uh, that documentary by Rasul Berry, um, I think it's called Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom. Um, I believe it's by Our Daily Bread Ministries. It's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Really, really great, really informative, um, and really encouraging. I love that line at the end of the video where he said, on Juneteenth, um, earth became a little more like heaven, and there was more justice for all. And in that, we can celebrate and we can rejoice. And we recognize that there's still lots of injustice in our country and in our world, and we pursue justice um, and righteousness for all. Um, but we can still look back and celebrate um, that heaven became a little more like earth on that day. Uh, so we are back in uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, we have a lot of stories today, stories that are familiar probably. Brian just read the first story, um, so we're not here for five, ten minutes reading the entire passage. But I'll read through it and I'll, I'll walk through it. Um, but obviously, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospels, are about the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, and so ever since Jesus was alive in the first century, he was uh, on the scene, he was ministering. People were asking, who is Jesus? Who is this man. And opinions varied, of course, then and even now, 2,000 years into the future, opinions vary on who Jesus is. Then, some people thought that he was merely just a, a, a Jewish teacher or a rabbi. Some thought that he was a blasphemer or a heretic. Some thought he was crazy. Some thought that he was going to overthrow Rome. Some thought that he was just a man, no big deal. And then some obviously thought that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Today, people still have different opinions on Jesus. Some think that he was merely just a good moral teacher, not unlike the other good moral teachers throughout history from different parts of the world. Some think that he was a megalomaniac. Um, some think that he was a confused rabbi. Some think that he was just a legend that has been embellished and kind of crafted over the years. Some think he was a prophet, others an avatar, some that he was merely human, and then, of course, others that he uh, was the God-man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so people have always been divided on who Jesus is. And they do this because Jesus, he's not someone that can be casually just dismissed or forgotten by history. What he said, what he did, and then, of course, the huge claim that he died and then came back to life from the dead required that everyone answer that question, who is Jesus? And actually, it's of the utmost importance that everyone here and everyone really in the world answers that question. And in answering that, it's not just defining some historical facts about who Jesus was, 
but truly coming to know who he is as God in the flesh. And in that, and we'll see this today, that there's good news. That when you truly come to know who Jesus is through faith, God will completely transform your life in the best way possible, and then you're never going to be the same. So in our passage today, we're going to see multiple stories of people who encounter Jesus in different ways, and they're faced with that question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Like I said, it's a question I think we all need to ask and to answer for ourselves. And so I'm going to reread um, this first story um, to kind of jump into the text. Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. So this is still early in Jesus' ministry, but the disciples, they've been with Jesus for at least a little bit at this point. They've seen him perform uh, miracles, miraculous healings. They have heard his profound teaching on the kingdom of God. So they have a pretty good idea, I would think, about who Jesus is. But of course, we're going to see that in some ways they still have a whole lot to learn about who Jesus is. So after teaching and performing miracles, Jesus tells his disciples, let's get into a boat and we're going to sail across the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is 700 miles below sea level, but it kind of has mountains and hills surrounding it. So on the sea, the cold air can come down from the mountains and then there's warm air, hot air on the surface of the water that's below sea level. And so when those two airs come together, that means that storms can kind of strike up suddenly and sometimes they can be really, really severe. And so we don't know in the story if there were any signs of an impending storm as they were getting into the boat to cross the sea, but we know that it would not just be some casual boat ride. But remember that some of the disciples in the boat with Jesus are professional fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So being out on these waters on the Sea of Galilee would not be new for them. They were very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. But they're also familiar enough to know that when the wind and the waves were too violent, their lives were in danger. So they're out on the Sea of Galilee and that hot air current, that cold air current, they kind of converge on the sea and then a strong windstorm just kicks up very, very suddenly. The wind and the waves are so bad that the boat is beginning to fill with water. And so the disciples, they're doing everything that they can do to get the water out and get safely to their destination on the other side, but it's, it's not working. As the waves rise higher and higher, so does the water around their feet in the boat. They're beginning to sink, and they're terrified. But Jesus, tired from many long days of ministry, he is asleep in the bottom of the boat. After doing everything that they can, they wake Jesus. The disciples come to Jesus and wake him and say, Master, we are perishing. Their other attempts have failed. Their fear has risen so high that they see Jesus really as their last hope rather than as their first and best option. So they come, they wake Jesus up, but Jesus, he doesn't match their fear. In fact, he's quite calm. And in a calm voice, he simply yet authoritatively just rebukes the wind and the waves, and they stop instantly. And the text says there was a calm. I think this miracle reveals two things. The first is Jesus's power and authority, and the second is the disciples' lack of faith. 
Because that's what Jesus asks the disciples. Where is your faith? The disciples, they had had enough faith to give up everything and to follow Jesus as a disciple of his. They had enough faith to get into the boat with Jesus and go across the sea. But ultimately, they were still learning the depths of who Jesus was, depths far, far deeper than the Sea of Galilee that they were on. And so because this miracle reveals Jesus' power and authority in a way that the disciples ultimately, they just could not fathom of Jesus, the disciples' fear turns from the waters to ultimately the man in front of them. And they ask themselves, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? And the disciples ask this about Jesus because power over storms is something that only God is supposed to possess. Psalm 65, 7 says that God is the one who silences the roar of the seas and the waves. So they're asking, who is this man, Jesus, who can command the seas and they obey? Their faith in Jesus got them into the boat with Jesus to cross the Sea of Galilee, but their faith failed them when the storm seemed more powerful than Jesus. And they cried out to him saying, we're about to die. But I think if they truly understood in that moment the depths of who was in the boat with him, they would not have feared. For Jesus is Lord of not only the sea, but of all of creation. Colossians 1.16 says that all things in heaven and on earth have been created through him and for him, through and for Jesus. He is the same God who brought order to the chaotic waters of the deep in Genesis 1. He is creator and has power and authority over all of his creation. And we see this power and authority as God on display in this story as they're crossing the sea. And Jesus, he, he uses his power and authority over creation to protect and to save and to deliver the disciples on the boat in this storm. He heard their cries and he responds in saving power. And of course, the same is true for us. Jesus hears our cries. He responds in saving power for us. He doesn't only respond and save us so that we can go to heaven when we die, although he, of course, does do that. But Jesus saves and delivers from the real storms and the real predicaments of our lives that we find ourselves in every single day. Illness, financial difficulty, relational strife, calamities, natural disasters, the real world problems of every single day. And so sometimes we are facing our own storm in our life. Maybe not a literal storm on a sea, but we're facing a storm nonetheless. And when we're facing a storm like that, we can remember ultimately, that Jesus, he's with us in the boat. He has all power, he has all authority, and he loves and cares for us. So may we learn from the disciples their poor response, ultimately, and may we respond to Jesus in faith at all times, because Jesus, he is always present with us. He is with us, he, he hears us, he saves us. And so because this is true of who Jesus is, we can put faith in him every single day. But inevitably, we're going to lack faith at times. But even when that happens, Jesus, he is faithful to us and he is gentle with us, just like he was gentle with the disciples in the boat. And so the disciples, they're with Jesus in the boat and they ask, who then is this man? And the answer to that question in our next story comes from a very, very unlikely source, a man who's possessed with demons. So continuing on, verses 26 through 33. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. 
For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. So Jesus, when he reaches the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee after this storm in the area of the Gerasenes, a man who is possessed by demons rushes up to meet Jesus. And it says that these demons, they would seize this man and cause his behavior to be erratic and even violent. And so because of that, he would be shackled and guarded by guards in the city. But it was a common occurrence. He would regularly break these shackles and retreat by himself into the desert. And so at that time, he was living by himself among the tombs. He, he lived in a graveyard. He had no clothes on, it says, and he had no people in his life. So ultimately, these demons had taken everything from this man. He was caught in a storm too, really, but just an internal storm caused by dark spiritual powers. And while it's the disciples who ask of Jesus, who then is this man? The answer in Luke comes from these demons, for they know exactly who he is. He is the son of the most high God. So the demons, they rightly recognize that Jesus is the one true almighty God whose power and authority is greater than everything in creation, including spiritual powers, which means including these demons. They know that Jesus is God and his power and his authority is infinitely greater than theirs, and they have no choice but to do what he says. He has the power. And because the demons know this, they, they beg Jesus not to torture them or to send them into the abyss. This was the place of the dead or where evil spirits would reside. And so Jesus asked, most likely of the man, what is your name? But it's the demons who reply, and they say, legion, because there are many, many demons in this one man. And a legion was a Roman military unit, which was about 6,000 soldiers. So this man is experiencing tremendous spiritual darkness and oppression by many, many demons that are inhabiting him. But while these demons have power over this unfortunate man, ultimately they are no match for the power and the authority of Jesus. The demons are completely at the mercy of Jesus, and all they can do is beg him to not send them into the abyss, but rather into a herd of pigs that is nearby. And so Jesus, it says, he allows this. And the, the herd of pigs, they rush into the sea and they all drown. And at least one commentary that I read said, said that presumably the, de the demons inhabiting the pigs were destroyed as well. And so what the story shows us, amongst other things, is that dark spiritual and demonic powers are real. Satan and his kingdom of darkness are opposed to Jesus in the kingdom of God, really in every single way. For as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. But we see that the devil and the powers of darkness only have as much power to do what God allows them, 
Satan ultimately is a leashed enemy, and he only has as much slack on that leash as God permits. He is not free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, for God has power over him and is sovereign over even the powers of darkness. And ultimately, the powers of darkness are no match for Jesus in the kingdom of God. That's why these demons are terrified. They beg Jesus to not torment them. Because as we know from James 2.9, the demons believe in God, yes, but they shudder. And so Jesus is king over the kingdom of God and over all things. His power and authority cannot be matched by anyone, anything, or any spiritual power in creation. And God's kingdom ultimately will triumph over all. The powers of darkness still have power in this world to bring about death and destruction, but Jesus and God's kingdom bring light, life, and salvation. And one day they will fully and finally triumph over darkness in the kingdom of darkness. So in that, we can take heart. Yes, there is darkness and evil and wickedness in this world, but Jesus, he is the son of the most high God. His power and authority extend over all that has been created, and he uses his power and authority for good, for deliverance, for salvation, for freedom, and for healing. He ultimately is a king that we can trust to use his power and authority for our good. And so the story continues in verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So Jesus, he just powerfully displays his power and authority over dark powers, over demonic powers, and everyone around has a very strong response. And so I want to look at the responses of the townspeople and then the response of the man who was formerly possessed by these demons. So these herdsmen of the pigs, they had just watched their pigs sprint into the sea and drown, 2,000 of them, it says in another gospel account. And the, so they rushed to the town to tell everyone. So the townspeople, they come out to see what's going on. And those who witnessed everything tell them how the demon-possessed man had been he healed and then what had happened to these pigs who had drowned. And so just like the disciples in the previous story with the storm, all the people are afraid. But unlike the disciples, the, the response of the townspeople is initially to get as far away from Jesus as they can. Seeing Jesus' power and authority over demons ultimately scares them. And rather than wanting to ask more questions to figure out who is this man who could do something like this, it says that they are seized with great fear. And they want to just be rid of this man that they ultimately don't understand. Jesus' power generated fear for these townspeople rather than faith, for we often fear what we don't understand. But the little that they did know about Jesus was enough for them to know that they wanted nothing to do with him. So encountering Jesus, it always demands a response of people, but sometimes the response of people ultimately is faithlessness. But the man who was delivered from these demons, he responds very differently. His life had been 
utterly transformed by Jesus in the text in Luke 8 tries to paint that picture for us. It says that previously he had no clothes on as he was roaming around the graveyard, but now it says he's clothed. He previously was not in his right mind as the demons inside of him kind of hijacked his mental faculties, but now it says that he is in his right mind. Before he was roaming around the graveyard, now it says he is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that phrase, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is used throughout the Gospel of Luke to denote the disciples just humbly sitting and learning from Jesus as their teacher, as their rabbi. And those disciples who do this in Luke are often outcasts and the marginalized of the society at the time. So what I think this shows us is that following Jesus, being in God's family, is open to anyone. Jesus creates a new community that transcends the communities that we tend to make in this world. No one is unqualified. No one is too far gone for Jesus to save them and to make them his disciple, to learn at his feet. And so it says that this man who was possessed, it says that he had been healed. The Greek word there, which is translated in English as healed, can also mean saved. He was physically saved from the demons inhabiting him, but he was also saved ultimately from his sins as he put faith in Jesus and was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I think that's what Luke is trying to illustrate for us. And just as the demons, they begged Jesus not to torment them, this man begs that he might stay with Jesus and follow him. His life had been completely transformed as he was set free from demonic oppression. He was restored to his family. He was restored to his community. His physical and mental health were restored. Ultimately, Jesus had made him completely whole. He had saved him. And so this man, he was filled with faith, and he wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus tells him to go home and to declare how much God had done for him. And then the text says that he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Because this man, he believed from the whole ordeal with the demons that it was true that Jesus was truly the son of the most high God. He was God himself. And this man just had to tell everyone how much Jesus had done for him. And so he had experienced firsthand what it was like to have a strong encounter with Jesus, to come to know who Jesus truly is. And when he saw Jesus truly as the Son of the Most High God, he could do nothing else but put his faith in Jesus and want to follow Jesus, give his entire life to follow Jesus. Because his life was transformed in every way possible. He would never be the same. Because ultimately, this is the proper response when we come to see and know who Jesus truly is. He's not just a good teacher or a miracle worker or a healer. He's the son of the Most High God, who is Lord of all creation. He is powerful over all other powers, and his kingdom is greater than any other kingdom, including Satan's kingdom of darkness. He delivers those who are held captive and oppressed by sin, by Satan, by the brokenness of this world. Because this is what Jesus came to do. This is Luke 4, 18, was in the video, but it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is what Jesus said he would do in his ministry, and we see an example of that here with this man who was possessed by these demons. And ultimately, this reveals something of who Jesus is. He can and wants to save 
and heal and deliver and totally transform each one of our lives. And just imagine this man, the testimony that he now had after this encounter with Jesus, how often he would share the story of what Jesus had done for him. Because ultimately, when you put your faith in Jesus, he comes in and completely transforms everything about your heart and your life. And he does this, obviously, for the better. He doesn't necessarily be thinking about how we might interpret this today. He doesn't necessarily give you a new job or a nice car, a new house, great life circumstances. But he does come in and give you forgiveness and salvation and the gift of himself. He saves you from your sin and he saves you from the brokenness of this world. He makes you completely whole through faith in him. And so if you have trusted Jesus, then you have a story about all the incredible things that God has done for you. You might feel that your story or your testimony, the way that we normally think about it, as boring by comparison to this man who was set free from all these demons, but it's not. Because a rebellious, broken sinner, being loved by a holy God, being forgiven and saved and made whole in Christ by God's grace through faith is a remarkable testimony that every single Christian here and around the world has and every person needs to hear. And of course, we all have daily testimonies about what God is continually doing in our lives as we walk in faith, as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. This is what we try to um, model in our gospel communities, not what did Jesus do for you when you were a kid at youth camp and you got saved, as awesome as that is, but what is he doing in your life here and now today as you come to know him more and more and are gripped by the beauty of who, of who Jesus is more and more. So may we all be as eager as this man to follow Jesus and to tell as many people as possible what he has done for us and what he does for us every day. And I want to encourage you, I was challenged by this text, but I want to encourage us all to consider how much God has actually done for us. Especially when life is hard and circumstances are difficult, we can forget, even on a daily basis, how much Christ has done for us. But he has done so much. So I want to encourage us to consider that today and throughout this week, to thank him for his love, for his grace, for his salvation, for his daily continual presence with us. And then ask God if there is someone that you can share that with this week about how much Christ has done for you. And so the text just kind of moves on to another story. And in this next story, we see an account of a desperate father as he comes to Jesus. Verses 40 through 42. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people were pressing all around him. So, this man Jairus, he was the ruler of the local synagogue which ultimately would have made him pretty well known in the community. He basically would have been the president of the local Jewish house of worship. But he doesn't approach Jesus as a Jewish leader who wants to kind of discuss Jesus' thoughts on the Mosaic law. He approaches Jesus as a father on behalf of his dying child. He humbly falls to his knees before Jesus, really in desperation, asking Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter, who it says was dying. 
He must, we assume, have heard some stories about Jesus as a healer and a miracle worker and wants to at least approach Jesus for help for the circumstances that his daughter is facing. And so Jesus, he agrees, and he is walking with Jairus to go to his house where his 12-year-old daughter is. But as they're going, they're interrupted, and the story is interrupted. But it continues on in verse 43. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus, with Jairus, on his way to heal Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, a woman in the crowd who had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years is seeking healing. Now, ultimately, we don't know what was causing this woman's hemorrhaging, and the text doesn't tell us, but we can know that it was causing a lot of problems in her life. Obviously, there's the physical problems of this constant illness, this ailment, whatever it was, but also it says that she has spent all of her money on doctors, but they cannot heal her. But also... This woman's health problem would have meant that she was considered ritualistically unclean according to the Old Covenant. This would have meant that no one could touch her or her uncleanness would pass to that person and they too would become unclean. It would also mean that she was separated from the community and that she could not participate in public worship while she was unclean until she was purified from whatever was making her unclean, in this case, this issue of blood. So this was not just a physical health issue, although it was that. There was much more going on, and ultimately this was completely turning this woman's life upside down. Now I think it's important to know, because sometimes it can seem confusing, that when someone who was unclean under the old covenant, that does not necessarily mean that they sinned, and that sin was causing them to be unclean. Under the old covenant, in, in books like Leviticus, there were different things that caused one to be unclean or impure that were really just part of everyday life. But the things that would make someone unclean did so because those things were representative of death. And death has no place in the presence of God's holiness because the essence of God's presence is life. So a person could be unclean for all sorts of things. Reasons like coming into contact with certain bodily fluids or coming into contact with a dead body. But they would only be unclean for a temporary period of time. Sometimes it was really just the rest of the day. But eventually they would become clean again and they could enter into worship corporately in God's presence. So this, this issue of bleeding for this woman is, does not mean that she sinned. And that's what's causing this uncleanness or anything like that. But nevertheless, it did make her ritualistically unclean. She could not be around the, her community, and she could not enter into corporate worship. So really, it was wreaking havoc on her body, but really her entire life. So understandably so, she was desperate for healing. And she believed in faith that if she just touched Jesus' garment, then she could be healed. And the text just matter-of-factly says she was healed immediately. 
Now Jesus, she was healed immediately, but Jesus doesn't immediately know who touched him and received this healing, but he does know, he senses that healing power had kind of flowed out from him. Now the woman, she's trying to hide from Jesus and the others, probably because her mingling and touching people in the crowd would have meant that she would make them unclean, as I was just describing. So she doesn't want to anger anyone. So she's a little bit afraid. That's why it says when she is kind of found out, she comes trembling. But when she touches the garment of Jesus, instead of her making Jesus unclean when she touches him, he heals her and he makes her clean. She humbly falls at the feet of the one who had not only healed her, but really in a lot of ways had given her her life back. And she ultimately just spills everything in front of him, everyone present about what was going on and how she was instantly healed. And again, the Greek word there for healed is that same Greek word that can also mean saved. Because both physical and spiritual healing are happening here in this story. And Jesus, he replies, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She is not only healed physically, but is healed spiritually. And she is now welcomed into the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That's why Jesus refers to this woman as daughter. For that word was usually only used for someone's biological daughter or a younger woman. But here in the text, it seems that Jesus is calling her daughter because her faith in Jesus had made her physically and spiritually well. She had peace now with God, and now she was God's adopted daughter through faith. So you see, Jesus, he's not merely a healer or a miracle worker. But he is the one true God who completely restores us in every single way. It makes us whole where we were previously broken by sin. This woman was suffering physically, and she was healed by Jesus. But she was also made clean, which meant that she was restored to her community. She could engage in worship in the presence of God once again. She was made a daughter of God through her faith in Christ, and she was welcomed into the family of God. She was saved and she was at peace now with God. Her many years of private pain and suffering now turn to public praise to the God who is with us in our suffering and to the God who heals our pain. Just because she suffered for many years from this ailment does not mean that during that time God was distant or uncaring. He was very present with her that entire time all the way up to her healing and he was delighted to heal her. For God healed her just by her touching Jesus' garment. Jesus apparently, according to the text, didn't even know what had happened. So God was with her, even though she had suffered for a long time. He was with her that entire time, and he was delighted to heal her in that moment. And Jesus, who is God, who is there healing this woman in the moment, he delights to heal and save and redeem and restore those who come to him in faith. Because ultimately, we all have our own wounds from our own sin, wounds from the sins of others, and wounds from just the realities of life in this broken world. And Jesus, he doesn't just put a bandage, a band-aid on our wound and kind of send us on our way. He doesn't even just heal our wound as good as that is. But he heals our wounds, but he also makes us completely whole spiritually in him. Because ultimately, there is no wound that Jesus can't heal, that there is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive. 
And this is ultimately what was spoken of Jesus long before, about 700-ish years before Jesus came to this earth in Isaiah 53, where it says, by his wounds we are healed. And it's talking about Jesus' wounds on the cross for our forgiveness and salvation and complete wholeness in him. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who suffered on our behalf so that we could be healed of our sin and our spiritual wounds. Through faith in him, we are forgiven and we are made whole. The negative effects of sin, the negative effects of really just life in this broken world, they can still endure for now during this earthly life. But Jesus' death on the cross accomplished everything for our forgiveness and for our salvation, for our spiritual healing. And we receive that through faith in Christ and we can enjoy those things now. But it was also for our physical healing and really every other type of healing. We don't experience the fullness of all of those healings here and now because this world is still broken by sin, but we will fully experience complete holistic healing one day when Jesus returns and establishes the kingdom of God and all of the sad things of this broken world become untrue. So because of his unfathomable love, this is what Jesus came to earth to accomplish fully and finally through his death on the cross. Our forgiveness, our salvation, but our complete holistic healing and wholeness. And so remember, they're, they're on their way to do something. So while all of this is happening with this woman, Jairus is just kind of standing there to the side because they were on the way to his household to heal his daughter. But then some sad news comes. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So this horrific news is delivered that Jairus' daughter has died. This is his only child, and she is only 12. I can only imagine the fear that must have gripped him at this awful news that his daughter had died. But Jesus, he, over, he overhears and then he speaks comforting words to Jairus and says, Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. Because Jairus was undoubtedly afraid at the news that his daughter had died and maybe honestly was angry at this woman who had just been healed for delaying Jesus and going to heal his daughter. But having just healed that woman and making her well, Jesus assures her that, or assures Jairus that the same can be done for his daughter. All he must do is believe. All he must do is have faith in Jesus. And ultimately, the healing of this woman with the issue of blood may have been part of Jesus' plan to encourage Jairus' faith. Jairus' daughter, he says, can be made well, or it's that same Greek word, she can be saved. The same word used for the woman who had been healed of the issue of blood. The same word used for the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. All Jairus must do is fix his eyes on Jesus. 
Because no matter what the circumstances going on in our life and how hopeless they may seem, how afraid we might feel, we should fix our eyes on Jesus, for he is mighty to save. We need not fear, but only believe in Jesus, who is the Son of God. And so they get to Jairus' house, and there are already people there who are mourning for this girl who had just died. But Jesus, he assures them she is not dead, but she's just asleep. Now they laugh at him, really just ridiculing him, for they know certainly that she is dead. They, they know when a person has died. But when you know that Jesus is the resurrection in the life, then even physical death can be viewed as sleep. So Jesus, he approaches the young girl. He takes her hand, which again, taking her hand, touching a dead body would have made him unclean. But he takes her hand and he says to her, child, arise. And it says her spirit returned and she got up at once. Once again, Jesus is not made unclean by something that should have made him unclean, but he provides healing and life-giving power to the girl. He raises her back to life from the dead. And the text gives us an interesting detail of, of giving her something to eat, but that is showing her complete holistic restoration by Jesus. So ultimately, there is a, a host of circumstances in this broken and fallen world that can cause someone to be overcome with fear. The death of a parent's only child is absolutely one of those circumstances. But Jairus, he chose to trust Jesus even amidst the fear that he was experiencing. And his daughter was restored to life. He was restored, she was restored to her father and her mother. And her parents now were given the gift of watching their only daughter grow up and seeing the woman that she would become. So what an amazing and remarkable gift that Jesus did for this family. And so there's a lot of different stories here in this chunk of Luke chapter 8. But every person in these stories, they had an encounter with Jesus, and they had to ask the question for themselves, who is Jesus? Who is this man? And they had a choice to respond in faith and belief, or they could respond in unbelief or even fear. That question, who is Jesus, that was posed by Jesus' own disciples in the first story, the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and throughout that story and really all of the others, we, we get a better picture to answer that question of who Jesus is. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is Jesus, the Son of God, who created all things, is sovereign over all things, and brings peace and calm to the chaos of this broken world. Who is this man that even a legion of demons obey him? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords who reigns over God's kingdom. His kingdom has no end, and not even the counter-kingdom of darkness is any match for King Jesus. Though Satan still has power in this world, he will not forever, because one day Jesus will return and will fully crush Satan under his feet. Who is this man who can heal this woman's body when no physician can? He is the great physician who gave us bodies and is Lord of our bodies. He knows every sickness and disease, and even sneeze that we experience, and he is our ultimate healer. Who is this man who makes clean what is unclean? He's the perfectly holy God who has always made a way for his people to be in a relationship with him and to come into his holy presence. He completely purifies and cleanses us through faith in Jesus and Jesus' atoning death on the cross. Who is this who brings peace amidst the various storms of life? 
He's the Prince of Peace, who gives peace that the world cannot give and peace that the world cannot take away. Through faith in him, we have peace with God and peace with one another. Who is this man who is more powerful than death itself? He is the God of life and the God of the living. He is the God who is. He is the great I am. He is the resurrection and the life, and through his own death on the cross for forgiveness of sins and his resurrection from the dead, all who put their faith in him are raised to newness of life, are raised to eternal life in him. And one day, even our physical bodies will be raised from the dead, and we will have perfect, glorified bodies like Jesus' own resurrected body, and we will reign with Jesus forever. Amen. I'm not sure if that's what she said, but it sounded like amen. <laughs> but this is who Jesus is. And I implore everyone here today, put your faith and trust and hope in him. Come to him and see all the ways that he will transform your life for the better. Let him save and redeem and restore and heal you and make you whole. Experience what true life is through faith in him and trust him at all times. He loves you and he cares about you and he was always good and faithful. And continue to grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is more and more every single day. Pursue him. Obey him, imitate him, worship him, and tell others about him. Tell others about all that he has done for you so that they too can truly come to know who Jesus is, that they might put their faith in Christ and experience the abundant life that Jesus longs in his love to give them and to give everyone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For these incredible stories, Jesus, thank you for the ways that you responded to these people in these very extreme circumstances that we see here in Luke chapter 8. But thank you, Lord, that it was in according to your good will, your purpose, to record these stories, God, for even us now, here today, in 2022, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. God, thank you for what these stories reveal about who Jesus is as the Son of the Most High God. God in the flesh, the Christ, the Messiah, the ones who brings healing and salvation and health and hope and wholeness in Christ. Lord, thank you that we can come to know who Jesus is in faith and that when we do that, God, we are forgiven and we are saved. We are made whole in Christ and our life is utterly transformed in the best way possible. Thank you that we can experience that transformation and that wholeness in Christ every single day as we fix our eyes on you, as we look to you and follow you. Lord, even though these stories might seem very familiar to us, and we might feel like we have a good idea of who you are, Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts today to receive anew, receive afresh, Jesus, who you are, that you would reveal to us more and more of your love and your grace and your goodness and your character, of your faithfulness and your salvation. And that that would result, Lord, in joy, in peace, in hope, and in praise, and in worship, Lord. God, and just uh, like the man who is delivered from a legion of demons, Lord, may we declare how much you have done for us, Lord. Delight and rejoice in that every single day and declare the goodness of what you have done for us in Christ to people around us so that they too might come to know you in faith, Jesus. Truly know you and experience the salvation and wholeness, Lord, that only you can bring. 
So we thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us. Amen.